I'm a believer that conversations that are hard will always be hard. But the more times you have them, the more you learn about things that you can do to try to prevent the fire before it starts. And one of the hardest parts of building a team is having the hard conversation with someone when you know they're not the right fit for you. Sophie Barron is the founder and CEO of The Conversationalist, a nonpartisan education platform empowering the next generation to break out of their echo chambers. During her time at the University of Pennsylvania, Sophie realized the harmful effects of only communicating with those who are like you and was determined to do something about it. After graduation, she began The Conversationalist to transform the way conversations are had in her generation. Tune in to experience a new point of view. Coming up, the process that Sophie took to get her first venture, Table Talk, off the ground. The evolution of the conversationalist. Learn how to sell value when there are no physical products. And finally, the importance of using data when building a business. This is the Entrepreneurista Podcast, presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done. And what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram. With no filters, no limits, and plenty of surprises. Sophie, I am so excited to finally have this conversation with you live on our Entrepreneurista podcast because this has been, I would say, years in the making. I have to tell all of our listeners how we initially connected through our mutual good friend and co-host of the Startups and Stilettos podcast, Jessica Abo, connected us several years ago. And I actually, I wish I had pulled up that intro email before we recorded this today. Do you remember what she said when she introduced us? How, like, what did, how did she put us together? She explained that you were one of her best friends in the world and I had to meet you. And any friend of Jess is a friend of mine. And Stephanie, I'm so grateful that she connected us. We met in our social fly office. And this is going back now. I've lost track of time with the pandemic. Three years ago, four years ago? No, how, over three years ago because Molly's three, four or five years ago then. I think it was 2018. Wow. Time flies. It's been a long time coming. You came into the office with this idea to start the conversationalist and we started chatting and brainstorming and and the rest is history. And I'm so excited for everyone to hear how far you've come over the past few years building this business. But I would love to know, Sophie, did you always know that you wanted to be an entrepreneurista? Was this your vision since you were a child? First of all, Stephanie, I attribute so much of where I am today to you. So I just want to start off by saying thank you. This feels so full circle and I'm excited to talk about everything. But it's a great question to start with. I did not always know I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I saw that it was possible. I'm very lucky in that I come from a family of entrepreneurs and leaders and trailblazers that I always aspired to become. But being an entrepreneur wasn't in my roadmap and it, it happened upon me. What was in your roadmap and how did this happen? It's a great question. I went to college having no idea what I wanted to study. I was that kid that was undecided until the very last day we had to declare our major. And I knew I wanted to do something that would make the world a better place. Social impact was definitely the pool that I was dipping my toes into. 
but I didn't know what that meant. I also had a love for music. And so I I didn't know where I was going to land, to be totally honest, until I wound up discovering a master's program that was offered at my, my college. And in seeing that that program existed, I felt that I saw myself in it. So I actually applied for the master's pretty soon after declaring my major. So long story short, I had no clue what I wanted to do. What was the program? The program was in nonprofit leadership, essentially an MBA for the nonprofit space. And what did you do next? You applied. I'm assuming you got in. I applied in my sophomore year. I got in. And at that point, I was straddling these two worlds between being an undergrad and a graduate student, studying nonprofit leadership, but also getting my undergraduate degree in communications and music. So I feel like early on, I discovered that I was more than a one-dimensional person and wanted to explore a bunch of different interests and landed in this area of social impact. And you started a nonprofit while you were in college. How did that come to be? And what were some of the learning lessons from building that while you were in school? Yeah. So back to this whole idea that being an entrepreneur happened upon me, it all stems back to my upbringing in the Midwest. So I am originally from Wichita, Kansas, which a lot of people have not even heard of. But growing up, I I learned pretty early on that I was different from a lot of the people around me. And that difference was my religion. I was the only Jewish kid in my entire school. And when it came time for application season for college, I sprinted down the yellow brick road to get out of the Midwest because I wanted to feel like I belonged. Mm -hmm. So I went to Penn on the East Coast, hoping to find my people. And I did. I joined every Jewish club under the sun. And one day, freshman year, I was walking through campus and I had this moment where I realized that every person around me was doing the exact same thing as I was, but with their identity group. And it kind of hit me all at once that the thing I resented so much growing up in Kansas, being the odd one out, the different one, was actually the thing I was taking for granted my entire life. And I realized in that moment that the meaning of life is actually to be surrounded by people who are different from you, who will push you to grow, to consider new perspectives, and to be this part of a larger whole. And that realization in my freshman year at Penn led me to want to do something. I feel like in that moment, I found my voice and I wanted to make a change in that area of trying to bring people together. So long story short, I decided to start a club. I I didn't even consider myself to be an entrepreneur. I just wanted to do something in my local community to make a difference. So I started this club. A friend of mine had started it at Emory and showed me that I could create this, this new initiative called Table Talk that would bring people together across differences. And that was my, that was my real starting point. How did the club work and how did you get people there? It it was a process. I think starting this club taught me a lot about culture shifts. I wanted to come in and change culture and how people were already interacting with each other. And that was not going to happen overnight. So I started just by researching what it meant to start an organization at my school, seeing what the process was, what funding was available, and how I could make this an official entity. Mm. And once I figured out a little bit about how I could start this, I actually sat down at my computer and I cold emailed every leader of every campus club across every sector at school, just introducing myself and saying, hey, I have this crazy idea to bring people together at Penn. 
do you want to grab coffee? I'd love to hear how your group is doing this and how we can collaborate. And at that point in my life, I hated coffee, but I started drinking it so that I could hang (laughs) and meet with all of these leaders. And I just started sharing my idea and trying to understand what people were doing on campus and how they were interacting with each other. And through that process, I started forming this organization because I found that some people wanted to be a part of it. Some people wanted to collaborate on a project. And that was just a really solid starting point to creating some sort of impact in my in my local community. How did it evolve over the few years that you were at Penn? Like, what did it start as and what did it become by the time you had left? It's a great question. It started as a small team of about five people that all wanted to bring people together on campus to just make new friends. We had this crazy idea to put inflatable couches around campus and invite people to come sit during their lunch hour or a free period and make a new friend. I thought we have to start with just being human beings. We have to come together. And through that initial phase, I think we realized that not only do we need to come together with people who are different from us, but we also need to come together with people who think differently than us. And that turning point for me really hit in the end of my freshman year when actually a a good friend of mine died by suicide. Mm. And this was the first time this had really started a conversation in my friend group to want to talk about mental health. And at the time, the university didn't even know how to address it. It was Mm. so taboo that there was no way to start that dialogue. And I thought, okay, I don't need to wait for the university to create that framework. Why don't I go do it myself? So I created a space for every mental health organization on campus to come together in a room with me and plan an agenda where we would actually bring people together through conversation around mental health. And so Table Talk really started as this great place to make new friends, get outside of your comfort zone, and slowly started evolving towards this organization that would really hit on tough topics and bring people together to have those hard conversations. When you graduated, Table Talk was still in existence, but you had some idea within you to then turn this into an actual business and company. What did you do next when you graduated? And can you tell everyone what The Conversationalist is today? Yeah. So Table Talk in its prime was spread to over 80 college and high school campuses. And I did this while I was in my master's program. I stayed an extra year after I graduated and I focused on table talk full time. I thought the college campus space is for me. I'm going to do this forever. And I thought that that was my career path. I was so lucky to be able to pursue that upon graduation. And pretty early on in that full time journey, I realized that there was this larger issue that I wanted to address within my generation that went beyond just human connection. And I think that lesson I learned freshman year showed me that we don't know how to talk about these difficult issues with people who are different than us. So the journey kind of started with just connecting with people who are different. Then it laddered up to talking about what's difficult. But I think the next iteration of my thought process was, okay, we need to talk about what's difficult, but with people outside of our echo chamber. And the 2016 election really helped me understand that there are so many different realities that exist within our country. And having this unique perspective between growing up in the Midwest and being on the East Coast, I had two very different circles around me that had very different ideological viewpoints. And junior year of college showed me 
that if we continue to stay inside of those comfort zones and those bubbles with people who are like us and think like us, we're not going to be able to solve the issue at hand. And I think 2016 really kickstarted this momentum of wanting to keep everyone at arm's length. If you disagree with me, then stay out of my life. I'm unfriending you on Facebook. I'm unfollowing you. Stay as far away from me as possible. And that realization led me to take pen to paper and start writing a column about why our generation needs to break open our echo chambers. I thought, okay, for the first time, I'm going to use my voice. And in putting pen to paper, that column actually got published in the Huffington Post and was the spark behind the conversationalist. I realized that where I could lend my voice to this larger movement was to create a space where young people can come together in community, but more importantly, through conversation with people who are different than them. So that was really how it got started. And from there, I realized that table talk could only go so far. We were only addressing the local echo chamber on college and high school campuses, but we need exposure to people from all different walks of life, all different areas of the country, all different backgrounds. And the conversationalist started from that moment of realizing that we're all trapped inside of an echo chamber. So what is the conversationalist today? How have you expanded and changed the business model and the structure of the communication based on your learning lessons over the past few years? It's evolved so many times over. And Stephanie, you were there for the very first chapter. We started as a media platform. After doing some market research, I really understood that young people don't know how to talk about these issues. So I thought, Let's start a platform with articles and blogs and podcasts and videos that address these different issues so people can learn how to talk about them. And you and I were sitting in the social fly office planning a campaign around using your voice to talk about these different issues. And after we ran that MVP, we realized in the data that yes, we were educating people on the topic, but no one was talking. And if we were going to be a platform called The Conversationalist, but we weren't creating conversation, what's the point? And from there, we evolved the media platform into a community and tried to find a space for young people to come together and actually discuss the issues at hand with people who are different than them. And that was the next iteration that happened right when COVID hit. We realized that more than ever, young people needed a place to go. So we pivoted towards this community model. And there were some trials and tribulations, and we tried different things and tested and pivoted, but we realized that community was the heartbeat mm-hmm. of what it is we wanted to do. And now, in this hopefully post-COVID moment, we realize that as much as digital community helps to connect each each person to the next, it doesn't actually create the human connection that we know will bridge the divide. And we realize that as young people go back to their lives, they go back to their campuses, there's not as much need to be chatting all day long with young people in our app. So we decided that we needed to create a new place for young people to have these conversations that brought us to the face-to-face space. And thus, we decided to launch the first Gen Z talk show, POVs. And this is still growing. We put out our first episode this past spring but I wanted to create a platform almost like The View for Gen Z, where we were putting young voices at the helm of these issues that our generation will inevitably inherit, but having face-to-face dialogue where the stakes are high because these issues are happening in real life. They're affecting us and real people, and we need to confront them in person. So we've gone through many 
iteration since we've started, but now we're really landing as an educational platform that serves to build community through having these hard conversations on our show POVs. It's really incredible what you've been able to accomplish in such a short amount of time. And I feel like I've seen a lot of it unfold over social media through the launch of your show and kind of getting to see the behind the scenes. And and it's really amazing. And I feel like I message you all the time when I see new content, like so, so needed because, you know, we see through social media how things can really be, you know, one-sided. If you're only following the same types of people and hearing the same types of conversations, you're not exposed to these other points of view, as you say, and you really are breaking down these echo chambers and and it is incredible. So I have a few business questions for you, Sophie, based on everything that you just shared in terms of, you know, launching with what you thought was going to be a media platform, then evolving into a community and now into this first Gen Z talk show. And looking at the data and looking at, you know, the feedback from your community, how did you go about making these data-driven decisions? What were you looking for? And how did you know when it was really time to pivot? And then how do you, you know, structure the business to move along based on the changes that you're looking to make? I wish I could attribute this to you because something you taught me, Stephanie, later on in my journey connects back to my answer. I remember sitting in your office and you told me that the best platforms are ones that create value for the consumer that will bring them back time and time again. And if you're thinking of a social media platform as an example, if you're creating a relationship between yourself and your audience that provides direct value where they come back to your page or come back to your content time and time again because they want to participate in it, that is value. Mm -hmm. And... I learned that in starting Table Talk, right? In talking to all of these local leaders, I wanted to create a solution that did not already exist. There are so many innovations out there. I I wanted to be additive. And I think the biggest learning lesson was making sure that whatever I create can be this living, breathing organism that should always shape shift to best impact the people you're trying to serve. And those data-driven decisions for us really helped us understand where to go next. And it's not always easy. I mean, for us, we're not selling a physical product. We're not selling a bottled drink or a baked good where we can quantify the impact we're making daily because a lot of what we're doing is big picture. I I really conceptualize what we're doing as planting seeds, right? A conversation that's had today on our platform could materialize 10 years down the road when Gen Z is in office or as CEOs of companies, but it's harder to quantify in the moment. So we wanted to define the data that we could measure. And a lot of times it's it's surveying pre and post data, right? How does someone enter our space? How do they leave our space? And what do people want and need? And that's been our formula. We really want to figure out what young people want from us and how we can serve them in a way that adds value to their life. And we've always asked our community, what can we be doing? We keep them as a part of the conversation because we want them to feel agency and ownership over what we're building. So it's been tricky at times to define that data when we're building something a little bit more meta with that social impact lens. But at the end of the day, it all goes back to the community we're serving. So we always try to ask them. Up next, you'll hear about creative solutions Sophie has used in her hiring process. Sophie, I'd love to hear about the process of building your internal team. How did you go about building your team when you first launched? 
I had no clue where to start. Building a team on a college campus is very different from building one in the real world. And I actually started by going on Bumble BFF. I heard that they had this new aspect of the app where you could find new friends. And moving to New York, I was looking to meet new people. And I discovered on the app that they had Bumble Business. Yes, Bumble Business. And so I when I, that. <laughs> yeah, so on Bumble Business, I put out into the universe that I was looking for someone to help me launch the conversationalist. And I actually found my first team member through Bumble Bits. She came on as a content producer and really helped me take this idea and put it out into the world. So I always approach team building as creative, right? You can find people in places of the internet or around the world in places you would never think to look, but we have to be the ones to put ourselves out there. Mm -hmm. So I feel like I've always tried to put what I'm looking for out, almost like one of those little sticky hands you would get at the arcade and be more open and forthcoming about what I'm looking for. And then that comes back. So that's where I started. And then from there, I utilized my network that I built through Table Talk to find interns. And pretty quickly, I started just finding this very, very gritty, ground up process to build the business in a very cost effective way that helped me put the initial pieces in place. You know, putting positions out that maybe we hadn't even realized we needed or putting up job descriptions for things that we just invented on the spot and being scrappy in that way allowed me to start building the team. But let me also say it's taken me three years to build my team. And I think something I got wrong early on was thinking that I should settle for any person I can find who wants to help me build the business. And I always think of it as a train metaphor. Mm -hmm. I'm building this train car and I'm headed towards this destination where our North Star lives, where we want to unify the world. And people will come onto the train, people will hop off of the train, but the hardest part is getting people into the right seats mm -hmm. on the train. And I learned that through a lot of hard moments with the people I worked with. And something I learned through that process was knowing really what you're looking for and prioritizing that North Star. Because the people, it, it may take a long time to get the people part right. So yeah, it, it's been a process. It's been a process. What were some of those learning lessons, maybe when you had the right people in the wrong seats or the wrong people in other seats? How did you figure that out? It was all trial and error. And a lot of it I learned through having some really hard conversations. And I'm a believer that conversations that are hard will always be hard. But the more times you have them, the more you learn about things that you can do to try to prevent the fire before it starts. And one of the hardest parts of building a team is having the hard conversation with someone when you know they're not the right fit for you. And I'm someone who's always been a people pleaser and I never mm -hmm. want to hurt someone's feelings. But there's a way that I've learned to work around that. And something that we do now every time we bring a new team member onto the, the conversationalist team is we do a trial period. And we always bring people on for a one-month trial or a three-month trial where you set expectations very clearly so you can actually assess with that person and set up feedback sessions to make sure that the expectations are being met. And different policies like that have really helped me 
set the standards for where I'm going while also being cognizant that every person we bring on might not be the right fit. And then on top of that, knowing what to ask in an interview, knowing how to find that person's strengths that are different from yours have also helped me immensely. But it's, it's been a process. That is such great advice. And I love that idea of a trial period. Is someone typically an independent contractor when they come on board in that trial period? Yes. Are there certain interview questions that you ask that are must ask questions to really have you get to know the person and figure out if they would be a great fit and share them with me if you have them? (laughs) Absolutely. And this question is one that I ask every person I interview, but it's also very specific to me. You always hear time and time again, if you're an entrepreneur building a business, that you want to hire for the skills you don't have. And for me, I've been trying to do a lot of self-reflection to better understand what I bring to the table in my business that I need help support on in a different way. And for me, I'm the visionary. I come to the table, keeping our mission in mind, giving people the why behind what we do. And I love being the ideas gal. I bring something, I bring an idea to the table, but I have a really hard time executing that vision. So every time I interview someone, I ask them, I say, do not overthink this question, but are you a starter or a finisher of things and why? And depending on their answer, a lot of people will try to say, oh, but I'm a bit of both. And I tell them they can only pick one. And I have been told that I am not allowed to hire starters because I'm the starter in a role where someone has to work directly with me, right? We want other ideas people on the team, of course. But asking someone that question directly will let you know pretty quickly if that person can execute on the things you need them to execute. So Stephanie, let me ask you, are you a starter or a finisher of things and why? I am also a starter. And look at my screen, Sophie. I just wrote down your question right here because I am now (laughs) asking this in every interview. And we were just talking about this as a team because we are hiring for New Worlds and Entrepreneurista. And for us, it's the same thing. I'm the visionary. I have our mission with Entrepreneurista to help as many women as we can launch and grow their business. And I have all of these ideas. And I'm also like you, creating content and also overseeing and managing the team. But I need people that can execute on the vision and actually make it happen. So I am right there with you. (laughs) This is... Let me know how it goes if you ask someone. And I think for anyone listening, it's defining what those terms are for you, right? It doesn't have to be starter finisher, but it's getting creative and how you ask someone the question of what you need them to be. And I think that reveals someone's colors pretty quickly. I have another question for you about just managing the back-end processes of your business. Are there specific business tools or solutions that you're using that have really helped you organize and streamline the business? This is going to be embarrassing to say out loud, but I am so disorganized. It's something that I am still working on. I struggle with it, which is why I need a finisher or maybe now an organizer where we're working to hire a chief of staff. But my best friend has been Notion. We keep all of our notes there as a team. We keep everything in one place. And I'm so lucky now to have someone on my team who helps oversee the organization. So although that may not be the best answer, I think it's taught me too to delegate the tasks and the projects at hand that I know I'm not good at. Instead of just pretending and masking that I, oh, I'm keeping notes somewhere else or, oh, I'm going to log this later or I'm going to use this tool, have someone else come in and help help you build out the things that you know are not your skill set. And for me, it's staying organized. But Stephanie, what about you? 
I know it's the same thing. And that's why, Sophie, I feel like <laughs> we totally get each other and, and connect. I'm like an yeah. organized, disorganized person. I can find everything, but I'm not the one to set up all the processes and organization systems. So we brought on someone on our team, Casey, who's our account director, who helps really manage everything on the back end, streamline all the processes. She's a whiz at Asana. Jess on our team now, she is helping and she's on here on the in the back end of the podcast here. And she's helping organize our whole podcast process now. And, and get everything streamlined and has all of these systems with ClickUp and other platforms because for me, that's just not my strength and that's okay. Yeah. And I'm transparent with our team about this. I'm like, look, here's what I'm really great at. Here's what I'm not great at and what I need help with and where I need everyone to <laughs> you know, yeah. help execute because we all can't be good at everything and that's okay. And Absolutely. I think as an entrepreneurista, there's no need to hide it or be have shame that you can't do everything because we all can't do everything. But what we can Absolutely. do is sh share what we're not great at and find great people to help do those things and fill in the gaps. And then together we can all be a great team. So, and the hardest part is admitting it, right? I think for me, I've, I felt the need to be perfect in a lot of areas of my business, but the moment I started letting that perfectionism go and realizing that I was never supposed to be perfect in the first place, yeah. let a lot of my guard down and when you can create that connection with your team and being fully honest with them, they're going to be honest with you too. And that's when you can start building what you're building. But I found that the moments where I've been guarded and unwilling to admit those things about myself are the moments where I've prevented our company from growing. So tell me where you are now as a business. How many team members do you have? And what is the vision? Where do you expect to be by the end of the year? It's crazy to say out loud, but now I have four full-time team members working with us. And we have some other amazing freelancers who help us run our show and produce video content. And we are at a place now where we're trying to build. We're taking the rest of this year to look internally and build out all of our processes and try to get organized because I've been so disorganized up to this point. And the pieces of the puzzle are finally starting to come together when we address them one by one. So we're spending the rest of this year doing some internal restructuring because I also realized as the visionary of this business that we cannot go out and unify the world around us until we unify within. Mm. And so I'm trying to spend my time and energy with my team, the people who are here spending every day building this unified world with me. And that's where we're starting. So the rest of 2022 is build, build audience, build the brand, build the team, and most importantly, build our show. We put out our pilot. It was a great representation of what we're trying to create for Gen Z, but it's not quite where it needs to be yet. So we're spending some time this year getting ready to go out and film the next iteration of the show, but it starts internally first. And I don't know if you feel this way, Steph, but I, I get so caught up on the hamster wheel. I keep doing the things that I've always done and I'm grinding to grind and I keep repeating the same mistakes because I'm not willing to take a step off of the hamster wheel and slow down for a sec. And for the first time, I feel like I'm really practicing the advice that I got when I started mm -hmm. from a mentor that was telling me it really is a marathon. And businesses are not overnight successes, yeah. but you can expedite your success if you're willing to lean into the challenges when they first arise. And I've, I'm someone who tends to sweep under the rug, keep trudging along. We need to go, go, go. And I'm trying to finally take a step back to address some of those larger issues 
so that hopefully we can get back on the right hamster wheel. So yeah, just spending some time doing some internal internal soul searching as a team and a company. I think that is all incredible advice, especially when building and, and growing a startup. And I know many of our listeners can, can definitely relate to that. Absolutely. Coming up, Sophie shares her accomplishments that she is most proud of. Sophie, this is one of my favorite parts of every episode. I'm going to ask you a few rapid fire questions. Are you ready? Let's do it. The first word are words that come to your mind really fast. Here we go. How would your friends describe you in three words? Outgoing, giving, and smiley. I have to agree. (laughs) What is your favorite app on your phone that you cannot live without? TikTok. I spend way too much time on it, but it's it's my fave. Aside from Notion, because you already shared that one, your favorite business tool or solution? Canva. Melanie Ooh. Perkins is my idol. Coffee or tea? Coffee. So funny now that <laughs> I know. Now that, now that you got into coffee. <laughs> do, I, do I like it? Absolutely not. Will I drink it now? Absolutely. <laughs> is there a skill that you would like to learn in the next year? Oh my gosh. I've never thought about that question. I feel like I'm always just trying to get through the day-to-day. I would love to learn better time management skills. Finally, what is your superpower? My superpower is making people feel heard and special. It definitely is. And you are so good at so good at that, Sophie. All right, back to our regular regularly scheduled programming and question, Sophie. So I would love to know, you talk about being on this hamster wheel and always being go, go, go. And trust me, I can totally relate to that. And it's usually hard for me to slow down and take a beat. But when given the opportunity, how do you slow down and clear your mind and take care of yourself? This is something that I am really bad at. But I'm trying to take steps every day to do something for me. One thing. And I've learned in therapy that that could even be five or 10 minutes of something that is just for myself. And it can be even in the smallest of ways. Everywhere I go now, I bring a water bottle. I try to stay hydrated. But I try to approach this as how do I actually recharge in a way that is for me? And I used to think to myself, having a date with a friend or doing something social was the way that I recharged. But it hit me recently that I spend all day long having these conversations, holding on to other people's opinions, interacting with my team. And at the end of the day, I just need silence. I know it sounds intense, but I crave alone time in a way where I don't have to be on. Mm -hmm. So for me, that could mean walking through Manhattan with headphones in, listening to music, taking a five-minute dance break in my apartment, or just sitting here and watching a show or doing something that allows me to just get back in touch with who I am. Mm -hmm. And I try to do something little every day. And sometimes it even just looks like taking a shower, if I'm being totally honest. No, I always tell people it's the little the little things and they all add up. Like as you start doing them, you really notice you you start feeling better. Do you notice in yourself like if you aren't taking the time for yourself to do these little things or do you really make sure now going forward every day like check it off the box 
drinking my water. I'm taking time for myself. (laughs) Oh my gosh. And that's what started to add up. I think I told myself that I was invincible. I thought, oh, I don't need any of these things. I'm just going to keep going. You know, I've proven I can do it before. I'm just going to keep running the race. But it really has started to take a toll on myself and my relationships. I've started to notice that the more I don't leave space for me at the end of the day, the less available I actually can be to the people that need me. And sometimes when I get so on edge and I don't take that time for myself, I realize that I start getting very irritated or impatient when people reach out to me. It could even be my boyfriend reaching out and asking to FaceTime. And for some reason, I just feel very overwhelmed and that I've hit my max. And that's been my wake-up call when the people I love most have started reaching out to me in a way that I can't receive it. Mm. And that's been my litmus test in trying to take a step back because you can't, you really can't put on someone else's mask before you put on yours on the airplane. Mm -hmm. And I know that sounds cliche, but when, when it starts to take a toll on you, that's when you have to step in. I'm glad you shared that. And I feel like so many people can relate and I definitely relate to that. So thank you, Sophie. But it's hard. I mean, Stephanie, I reach out to you. I, I know I've sent you voice memos and we've gone back and forth about how to manage relationships as well, right? How do you spend your time in a way where you can save time for you, especially when people are reaching out and they want to get together? And I feel like you and I are very similar in that we want to give, give, give. Yes. That's in our nature. Yeah. But at the end of the day, there has to be something left for yourself. Yeah. And at the end of your life, how sad would it be if not even ourselves were on our own side? So I'm trying to practice that a little bit more. You just gave me the chill, Sophie. <laughs> so true. I mean, hey, you've taught me so much about this and I still get it wrong sometimes, but boundaries, although I may not believe in them, can really help in carving out that time for yourself. And I say, you're talking about getting better at staying organized. I put everything on my Google Calendar. Like if it's not on my Google Calendar, it doesn't happen. It doesn't get done because I have so much going on in my brain. We all do. We're trying to do so many different things. I need it in writing in front of me or it doesn't happen. I live and die by my Google Calendar. Yes, me too. I I feel you. If Google goes out, I I don't know where to be, what to do, where to show up. I would have no idea what what to do. What are we going to do? But thank God for Google Calendar. It keeps us on track. And it also allows you to carve out the things that you wouldn't typically carve out for yourself. I have a mental health block on my calendar. And even though it's only 20 minutes, it's that 20 minute time Mm -hmm. where even if I need to spill over a few minutes from catching up on an email or debriefing something from my team, I still have a little time in there for me to save for myself. And Google Calendar is something that I used to only think you could put meetings on, right? And things that were official, but all the more reason to start putting times on the calendar that can serve as physical boundaries. Absolutely. I even put lunchtime on there just so I remember to get up out of my seat and go have food. Even if I bring it back here, just... Oh my God. You need to put it And it sounds so silly, but you need to. I have drink water on my calendar and it pops up three times a day, even as just a reminder. And sometimes I don't even end up drinking the water, but now I've started telling myself that it's a part of my daily routine. And the more you set that standard for yourself, it becomes a little more easy to address. Absolutely. Is there something, Sophie, that you're most proud of in terms of something that you've accomplished over the years? So I get asked this question a lot. And I think my younger self would be so quick to jump to an accolade. Because I think pretty early in my life, I thought 
that in order to be successful or to have a voice, you had to have an award, a position, something to show for. And recently, my answer has become a specific moment that happened in our community since I started it. I, again, growing up as the only Jewish kid, all I wanted was to find a place where I felt like I belonged. And there was a moment where one of our community members, her name is Victoria, shared pretty vulnerably in our community that during a lot of the the anti-Asian hate that was occurring in America, that she was having a really hard time talking about those issues with her classmates and her friends at school. So she came to the community to have that conversation. And so many people were there giving her support, giving advice, having that conversation with her showed that she was not alone. And she made a comment that she didn't know how she would get through that moment without the conversations community. And there was something so full circle in knowing that I created that place that I so needed when I was younger, that's actually having an impact on what real young people are going through. And so my biggest accomplishment is actually seeing the real impacts our community has on these everyday young people that are going through really tough times. It's hard to be a young person in 2022. Mm-hmm. And I just hope that this this movement, this way of life that I'm creating actually has that ripple effect that people take to their own lives outside of it. There's nothing better than creating a platform and a business where you're building a business that you can earn a living for yourself, but you're also helping people and making impact and having that moment to realize that you've done this, you've created it. What an incredible moment to not only take in right then, but just to carry forward, knowing that everything you're doing is helping people and making impact. So congrats. Absolutely. So, so wonderful. In so many ways, I feel that what I'm doing is helping to speak to my inner child. I struggled really feeling like I belonged growing up and something about being able to both satisfy that inner child while also truly giving what you didn't have to someone else has become Mm. everything to me. And so I hope that what I'm building through all of the obstacles and the tribulations just continues to show young people that they do matter and they have a voice and there's a space for them to be celebrated. Mm-hmm. Where right now, I think young people don't really feel like they have a seat at the table. Mm-hmm. When people come to you and share, they don't know how to start a conversation or have a difficult conversation with someone who has a different belief or opposing view. How do you recommend that people do start those conversations? There are so many tips that I can give, but I think at the very top of it all, it starts with you. Having a conversation needs to be more than a one-way street. But in order for you to show up in that conversation in the most authentic way possible, you need to know what you believe in. And I've struggled with that in the past, showing up to a conversation, feeling like I needed to know it all, or not knowing where I stood on a different issue or something I wanted to talk about. And that conversation didn't go well. So it starts with even sitting in front of your mirror and speaking out loud or starting to unpack why you believe what you believe in so that when you're having that conversation and maybe you're pushed a little bit outside of your comfort zone, you have something to fall back on, which is your own voice. So start with you, start discovering what you believe in and why you believe it, and then break out of that silo and explore your beliefs through the beliefs of others. And 
more of a tangible takeaway to having these conversations for me has been setting an intention and an expectation for the conversation. I don't know if you've ever felt this way, Stephanie, but I feel like nowadays we confuse conversations with debates. Mm -hmm. And a lot of us go into conversations trying to change someone's mind or bring them over to your side rather than trying to understand where someone's coming from and having a conversation about where you can uncover common ground. And when you're going into a conversation, it might sound awkward, but try to tell that person what you want to get out of that conversation. Why do you want to have it? What do you hope happens at the end? And that way you don't leave feeling disappointed because at the very least you've set that intention, right? We're here to learn. I just want to better understand your perspective Mm or, hey, I'd love to learn about X from your side of things and resetting that table to know exactly what you want to get out of a conversation can actually be the best possible way to get through it. That is such great advice. And I know that everyone will enjoy watching your show because you're having these types of conversations on your on your talk show. So thank you for, for sharing those tips. Sophie, do you have a mantra that you live your life by or lead your business by? This is a great question. So a mantra that I've been living by recently is actually taped to my refrigerator behind the screen. What does it say? (laughs) I can show you. It says, it's not hard. It's just a choice. Mm. And for me, a lot of the challenges I face in my business stem back to me. I created this because I wanted to have these hard conversations, but I was so damn afraid to have them. And a lot of the issues we experience in the business come back to me. And I'm sometimes afraid to do the hard thing like we all get, right? Being uncomfortable, putting yourself through something outside of the norm is really tough. But I'm trying to remind myself that by choosing to address the hard things, you're actually making your life easier. And sometimes I think of the hard conversation or the obstacle as this impossible behemoth, but rather it's just as hard to keep doing things as you are now Mm -hmm. where you're not addressing those hard things and things are building and the issues continue to pile up. So I always try to remember that it's really not hard to do the hard thing. It's just a choice between the hard to maintain where things are as they are or to choose moving forward where you can grow. I so relate to that. And thank you for sharing that. And again, I that a lot of our entrepreneurs can relate to that too. Absolutely. So thank you for sharing that, Sophie. And Steph, can I ask you a question? Sure. So as you know, we're all about navigating these hard conversations. You asked me if I had some tips. How do you navigate these hard conversations in your life and your business? I find now that I have a really great team and group of mentors as well. So even though I'm mentoring a lot of our entrepreneurs and team members, I also have those people to go to as well. And I find it really helpful to be able to troubleshoot some of the things that we're going through internally as a team with other people and get outside perspectives. And then I... it you know, either helps validate what I'm thinking or they share new perspectives that I wasn't thinking about and then can execute based on that collective information together. Because what I've learned is I don't know absolutely everything, nor do I want to. I never want to be the smartest person in the room. 
I want to be able to go to other people and share some ideas and gather other feedback and ideas and inspiration and advice. And then based on all of that information, make the best decision for myself or for the business. So that's what's really helped me. I don't want to be the one figuring everything out. I want to be surrounded with a group of people who also have ideas and together we can make the the best decision based on all the information. Love that. That's how we grow. And it's never just what we think. And I think creating and cultivating that environment helps, helps you also grow outside of your beliefs. And there are things that we, we don't know. And I appreciate you sharing that. And that's why we, one of the reasons why we started this podcast to be able to share all of these stories and perspectives and journeys of entrepreneurs because we can all learn from each other. So if you're able to hear stories of like, oh, that kind of relates to something that I'm going through in my business. I didn't think of trying that or Sophie's mantra is amazing. I'm going to write that down and make that my mantra or now I've written down obviously the uh, interview question that I will be asking. So thank you, Sophie. That's again, how we all learn and grow. All right, Sophie, you know, I could sit here and we could sit here and chat for hours. But I know our listeners probably need to get back to their business to keep it growing. I have one final question for you. And then we'll continue this over on a live when this episode comes out. What does being an entrepreneurista mean to you, Sophie? I feel like being an entrepreneurista comes with a level of honor that we need to live up to. Because entrepreneurista, for the most part, means that you are a female or a woman in business. And I hope that women will continue to show up in spaces where we're trying to make an impact, where we're not just creating a new solution for ourselves, but we're inviting people to that table with us. And being an entrepreneurista means being that innovator and coming to that table with ideas to make the world a better place, but that you're bringing another entrepreneurista along with you. So Stephanie, thank you for creating a place where I feel like I can find that support. And the league and your community has really helped me understand what it looks like to collaborate and carve out your own path instead of just compare myself to others and feel that I'm inadequate. And I think being an entrepreneurista is like a badge of honor and being able to create something that you want to create in the world while also including other people in your vision. I love that. And you are definitely creating impact. And it is an honor to be in your life and continue to watch you and your business grow and see all of the amazing things that you're doing, unifying the world and creating these amazing conversations or a place for people to have these conversations. Sophie, where can everyone find you and follow you? And for those who are interested in watching POVs, where can they do that? Well, first, you can find me in all of the comment sections on Stephanie's social media because I'm your <laughs> biggest fan. But you can follow me on Instagram or TikTok at Sophie Barron. And our platform is The Conversationalist. Come find us. Let's have a conversation. And just know that I'm here to have it whenever you're ready. Sophie, thank you again for being here. I'm Stephanie, and this is the best business meeting I've ever had. Hey, thanks for listening and leaving us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. And we'd love to stay in touch with each of you. You can listen to all of our latest episodes at entreprenista.com and connect with us on Instagram at entreprenistas. We'd also love to invite you to join the Entreprenista League, our private membership community for trailblazing women. You can head over to entreprenista.com forward slash the league. We'll see you there.
wishing you a productive week ahead. 